everyone, and welcome to Focus Forward, an executive function podcast where we explore the challenges and celebrate the wins you'll experience as you change your life by working on improving your executive function skills. I'm your host, Hannah Choi. Happy New Year, everyone. We made it through another year, and I have to say I am super excited about what's to come in 2023. I'm so glad you're here with me, and I hope you continue to find this podcast useful and relatable and easy to listen to. We're always open to new topic ideas, so if you've got anything you'd like me to explore, please reach out. Sending our kids off into the world at any age is a scary thing. Their first day at daycare or preschool, when they start kindergarten or transition to middle or high school. Both of my kids will be starting at new schools next year. High school for my daughter and middle school for my son. So you might want to check in on me and see how I'm doing later this fall. But I think the scariest is probably going to be when they head off to college. From what I hear from friends and family is that it's the biggest leap of faith that you'll take as a parent. And especially these days when we hear that the rates of depression and anxiety among college kids have doubled since 2014. And we have way too much access to news, which can really make it seem like bad stuff is happening all the time, even though it's not. But luckily, there are people like Dr. Marsha Morris out there. Marsha is a psychiatrist at the University of Florida, and she provides mental health support both on campus and virtually for students at the university. She's also written a book, which she'll talk about, and she writes a blog as well. Marsha and I sat down to talk about the best ways that parents can help their kids succeed in school, how medication may play a role in that success, and how kids can find joy in both their academic and social lives. Before I dive into this important conversation, I want to share a critical resource that everyone needs to know about, the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. This completely free service offers 24-7 call, text, and chat access to trained crisis counselors who can help people experiencing suicidal, substance use, and or mental health crisis, or any other kind of emotional distress. People can also dial 988 if they are worried about a loved one who may need crisis support. Do not hesitate to reach out for help if you are struggling or you suspect a loved one might be. Okay, thank you for listening. And now on to the show. Hi, Marsha. Thanks so much for joining me uh, for today's episode. I'm so glad to be here today, Hannah. Great. I'm really looking forward to this conversation about supporting college kids. My kids are um, are not yet ready for school uh, college. My daughter's, my eldest is in eighth grade, but I know it's going to happen in a blink of an eye. <laughs> so um, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. My name is Dr. Marsha Morris, and I've worked as a college psychiatrist at the University of Florida for nearly 30 years. I became a college psychiatrist right after I finished my training. And I chose to work with university students because it's such an exciting age where so many changes are going on and people are finding out their path in life. So, um, but one thing that I've noticed over the years is it's um, kids are facing more challenges and having more mental health issues. 
And as a result of that, I'll mention a book I wrote for parents of college students called The Campus Cure, A Parent's Guide to Mental Health and Wellness for College Students. It really takes a team. It, it need, you need providers, parents, professors to all help students be successful in school. And I write a blog for Psychology Today called College Wellness, Promoting Happiness and Health in the College Years. And it, again, for parents who can be great facilitators in helping um, college students have a joyful college experience. Um, before I had my kids, I worked um, in the Office for Students with Disabilities at a community college in Santa Barbara, California, back when I lived where it was warm year-round. <laughs> and, um, and, and a lot of uh, the work that we did was helping parents um, figure out how to best support their kids. And mm -hmm. so I'm really excited to dive into that today with you. Oh, so good. Thanks. Thank you for joining me. So um, what are some, I mean, let's dive right in. Uh, what are some, what's some advice that you can give to parents who have kids that are heading off to college? Well, I have a, an, an expression that is, um, uses four T's. Um, it's tell, teach, talk, and take action. <laughs> and the tell part is really letting your kids know that you love them, you're there for them, you support them, they can call you anytime. And it's really important to say that because kids think, oh, I'm going to college. I should be totally on my own, but you're a good sounding board for them. So tell them you're available. You should teach them about some of the challenges that they could face, whether um, it's related to availability of substances like alcohol and kind of setting limits for themselves, but also teach them about mental health issues because uh, unfortunately rates of depression and anxiety are going up in college. And so you, if your child is experiencing this, you want them to get help as soon as possible. So talking openly about mental health is really important, teaching them about that. Talk regularly when you go, your child goes to college, or it could be like talking on the phone, doing a video chat, I know there's a lot of texting going on, but there is value to having that either phone contact or face-to-face -face contact at least once a week, if not more the first year, just to see how they're doing because it's a very, the first year is a pretty vulnerable time. And take action if you think something really bad is going on. And that could be visiting your child at the school if they just sound really bad. Well, that might be the, the last step. But the first step might be saying, hey, I'd like to speak with your RA and check in with them and maybe talk to both of you because I'm concerned about you. Um, but but things, can, um, things can be really stressful and kids can get in a vulnerable place. And sometimes kids even stop going to class. So... It, it's um, if that's happening, if something seems like your child is very depressed, it's it's time for a visit to the school. Um, so that's the take. You hope you, that doesn't happen, or it might be a visit that weekend to check in. It may not be that dramatic. It might be, hey, you know, you sound like you're having a tough time. I'd love to just visit over the weekend and check in. I or like that. Yeah, calling every day even if you think someone's in a bad spot. Yeah. I like the story that you shared in your book about, I think the girl was called Sarah, um, and just her experience, um, how her mom um, kind of went through that process that you just explained. And um, sure. and I 
and I, I really, I liked, I liked hearing that story because I felt like, I felt like um, she supported, she, she helped her daughter both figure out how to solve it by herself and gave her some actual nice support for her as well. So, right. And you know, you don't want, and you know, you might need to come and visit, but you don't want to be there all the time, but it, it, it just, there might be some moments in the college um, experience where the students need more help. And hopefully when that's happening, your student is already speaking with a therapist or a psychiatrist and, it's worthwhile encouraging your student to sign a HIPAA release of information form so that you can, you, your child, and the psychiatrist or the therapist can talk together and problem solve and find out what's going to help your student get through their the crisis they might be experiencing. Mm-hmm. And um, do you do you ever find in your experience where the the student doesn't want the parent involved, but still needs that support? Sometimes if someone's having a severe problem, they don't want the parents involved at the beginning. But I would say in almost all instances, if things, if they're not feeling better, they're more depressed, they're having trouble functioning, most of the time they'll allow a family member or a friend, it might not be the parent, but they they will allow someone someone yeah. uh, and that that but so they might say oh I can handle this on my own I'm fine and a year later they're still struggling and they say yeah let's call my pet fa- dad and get him involved so but it, it's you can't force it on someone and legally the only way you can call a parent without a student's consent is if there is an immediate risk of danger to self or others. And um, maybe twice in 30 years I've done that. It's such a rare event, and it has to be really important to talk with other people and get even legal counsel and make sure you're not overstepping the bounds of the law because you, you really want to protect people's confidentiality. But most most students at some point recognize you, they can't go at it alone if their depression is really bad. They need to involve someone else for support. Yeah. And so that um, that makes me think that the, that the importance of maintaining a good relationship with your child when they're away at school. And so yes. how do you, how, what do you suggest for parents for in, ensuring that happen? Well, I have another acronym. Oh, good. Love. Acronyms are love. great. It's love. <laughs> love. Oh, so, I love it. Um, so the L is laugh and enjoy. And the point of that is you have to have a good, just have a fun relationship with your child. It's all always going to be fun. You're, you're not their best friend. You're still their parent. But, but you have to have that enjoyment together because they're not going to listen to you otherwise. Right. You know, a show, there might be a show you watch together or if when they're home, take a walk together. It can't be all about you need to do this. Yeah, <laughs> you need to connect with them. We, we Right. Yeah. We have to have that initial um, kind of bond. This the mm-hmm. bond. Make sure there's that loving bond first before yeah. you, you can do anything. Otherwise, your kids aren't going to want to listen to you. <laughs> but anyways, the other thing that pa- I think it's really important for parents to do is the O part of love, observe. Mm-hmm. Um we can get very wrapped up in our kids and we think they're the greatest thing on earth. And sometimes we don't see when they're having an issue or they're struggling with something. We want to think everything's good. And there are some parents who are negative and just 
find fault, but try to find that that happy medium of just seeing your kid, seeing are are they making friends at school? Are they is it the end of freshman year and they're still very lonely and they haven't made a friend? And that, that that's a time where you might make some try to get them connected with the counseling center or encourage them to join clubs, but are they making the development? Are they developing academically and socially? But just see, see how you think they're doing. And um, then, um, then also, but validate where they really are shining and progressing. And let's say they got a C in a class and they, they took a similar class next semester and they worked hard and got a tutor and got an A. Like say, say, wow, that's so, you know, I saw you do that. That's, um, I saw you put the effort in. That's really great. And also validate when they're, they're having a tough time. And like, I think when I went to college, it was easier than when my kids, I just in general, less stressful than when my kids went to college. So sometimes parents have a tendency to said, oh, it wasn't that bad when I went to college, but some things are just harder now. It's more competitive. It's harder to get into grad school. So Validate that there might be struggles, but also the the last part of the um, love is encourage. Mm. Even if they're struggling and they're, you still encourage them, problem solve. I use that word a lot, but um, problem solved. If they're really stuck, say, listen, I want to sit down with you and look at, we'll go on the website of school and let's think about what resources you can do to, you know, make this work. And um, so that it's really important to, you don't want to be total, you don't want to say goodbye, you're going to college, figure right. it out. And most <laughs> yeah. parents don't. Most parents are pretty involved now. Yeah. But but it's it's important. You don't want to be over-involved either. Right. You have to find a good balance. balance. Yeah. Right. But but you, you do, um, I think kids need a lot of encouragement too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mostly work with college age students um, for my executive function coaching clients. And uh, this is all sounding very familiar to me, (laughs) um, experiencing like challenges freshman year um, and then heading into uh, sophomore year with a little bit more support, you know, from a coach or from like mom had to step in and and help a little bit. Um, And now, you know, and then they then they really start to do well with a little extra support. So. Right. And I like, you know, and I, um, your company does great coaching. I know that. And, um, and sometimes there's, um, something called success coaching mm-hmm. on campus. It's not at every school, but though and they will, they, those coaches will take a look at students holistically and see how they're doing socially, academically, and often they can access the grades and Sometimes students, if they're doing badly, might not want to admit it. So they'll just sit with the student, be very supportive, and direct them. They might direct them to a different major. Yeah, Some right. kids start – it's actually – I read something. Um, at least 30% of students switch majors at least one time. I've heard a range of statistics. But it's very common to switch majors so they might have the, help them switch majors. They might suggest a different club to join. Um, so that guidance is so helpful wherever Absolutely. they can. Yeah, really, right. really helpful. Mm-hmm. I know. I always encourage my clients, take advantage of your academic advisor. Or if you qualify for services at the Disability Resource Center, go and, and get to know right. them. Even if you don't go regularly, just know what they offer. And um, and so is that is that something that you 
uh, recommend to your students as well? Absolutely. For all the patients in our clinic, we generally encourage them to sign up for the Disability Resource Center um, for whether they have anxiety, depression, or ADHD, because they you never know when they're going to need the resources. Sometimes they, they register, we have to write a, a letter, and they submit it, and they register, and they may not even use it, but then there might be a point where they need it. And the accommodations could include time and a half for testing or testing in a quiet room. And then to get additional accommodations, it's more of a um, kind of a discussion with the Disability Resource Center about whether they can hand and work late. And and so there there's, yeah, it's a process. And I, that has benefited many students that I've worked with over the years. Oh, so I'm, yeah. I'm very appreciative of the Disability Resource Centers on campuses. Oh, they do yeah. Yeah, that was that's always my one of my first questions for anyone who might qualify for services there is have you checked in with them? Have you gotten to know them? And I saw that a lot when I worked in 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 the office that I that I worked at is sometimes some semesters kid, kids needed it, you know, for everything right. and other semesters they they didn't. But and just having me- it. Right. And with mental health issues, 80 80- with some mental health issues, there could be an exacerbation of symptoms. ADHD tends to be pretty steady and you know what, what kind of some of the issues are. With depression, something might happen in someone's life and they might have a more severe episode and need more accommodations at that moment. Right. So registered and then going back in and you know adding accommodations can be very helpful. One thing I was going to suggest also is Students should register at the very beginning of the year. Yes. We, um, we had talked before about how with COVID, it's sometimes it's, it's, there's students have been more overwhelmed, at least on our campus, they're accessing the disability um, resource center. Yeah. But so you want to get ahead of the line as much as possible because if you wait till the middle or end of the semester, it can be hard to get an appointment right, to right. discuss options. Yeah. And, that and goes also for counseling services. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And if you, the student are feeling overloaded or stressed because it's midterms, you d- adding an additional appointment of getting to know the place is just mm-hmm. an additional thing to do. <laughs> if you've already connected with them during the time where you're not stressed out, school's just beginning, then it's right. it's, it's going to be a little easier for you. It won't feel like such a hurdle. That's absolutely true. Yeah. So speaking of um, and depression and anxiety, do you, are you, and COVID, are you seeing um, a difference pre and post COVID? Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, but what's been interesting and unfortunate is the trend has been upwards even before COVID. Oh, okay. But, um, in 2020, there's a national survey called the healthy mind study that's been tracking rates of depression and anxiety on college campuses. And um, so in, in 2021, the study found that 41% of students screened positive for depression, and um, this, that's, which that's, is a pretty high number, wow. and 34% for anxiety. It uses wow. a screening test. And, and again, the students who might take the survey, perhaps they might have more issues anyways. But yeah. nonetheless, the trend has been upward. And um, the rate that... 
is um, that rate for depression is double what it was in 2014. Wow. And the rate of anxiety is up by 50%. Wow. So that's a huge, huge increase. And we actually, um, I work with a research group and we did a study that showed the rate of depression combined with anxiety, like having both. We use healthy minds data, by the way, but it has doubled since um, two, uh, 2013. Wow. So, um, so, and so we see more students experiencing these symptoms. It's not just happening in college, though. We've, there's been an increase of depression and anxiety in high school. Mm. But um, it is um, so, but COVID certainly made things harder. And I, I know it's a sign of the times. There are stressful things going on in the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the economy. Mm-hmm. And COVID was just hard for everyone. But there's hope. People can feel better. They can do therapy. They can, if needed, take medication. They can exercise. It's not going to cure depression, but it certainly helps. It really does. And, um, I was going to say one other thing, though, related to the depression and anxiety. I think the biggest problem of COVID was the social isolation, mm. where kids were for safety reasons, and we didn't know how to handle COVID, like students, high school and college students were often isolated. And in that instance, their social skills fell behind. They were lonely. Loneliness can increase anxiety and depression. And what's interesting is now they're back, they're in class, they're interacting, but they're having some more anxiety about the interactions. It feels yeah. different. And mm-hmm. I think it's the same for people outside of college. Oh, absolutely. Adjusting. So, but, but so I, I'm a big supporter of therapy, individual group therapy. And I think I want to encourage students to take advantage of those resources, whether it's on campus or off campus, to deal with any like strong feelings of depression and anxiety. And that would be like the first line of treatment before going to medication. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and every campus out there is going to have some kind of support center for students. And it can be hard to um, take that first step of co- making the phone call or going and walking in the door, yeah. but, or maybe it's virtual, maybe it can be held virtually now. I'm, uh, are, do, oh, do you yeah. guys do virtual? Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, which can make it yes, easier. Yes. Um, during the co during the first year of the COVID pandemic, um, I was doing a hundred percent virtual, um, psychiatry, working from home. Yeah. Um, I'm back in the office, but what is very interesting to me is that a lot of students like the virtual. Mm-hmm. They're good at technology. It's They don't want to drive across the <laughs> yeah, right. to, to, to the appointment and deal with parking. Yeah. They might be, a, I, might, I sometimes work with medical students. They're on rotations. They can go into an office and yeah. do their session and then go back to work. My opinion, the telehealth has been a silver lining of the yeah. pandemic where we've, we've improved those resources. So if, if a student uh, or a, if a parent feels like their child or a student feels like they want to take advantage of therapy on campus, who would be their first person to go to? They should call the counseling center on campus directly. And then um, they would Generally, they either might speak with someone on the phone or see someone 
And what's happened on a lot of campuses, the therapy has tended to be more short-term. It does vary from campus to campus, though. Some okay. will do long-term therapy. So this, the student needs to maybe go on the website, see what the services are, and decide what's, what they need. So it might be doing some short-term therapy on campus and transitioning off campus or doing a telehealth kind of therapy or psychiatry. I like, one of the things I like about my job on campus in particular is I get to see students from freshman mm. year to, through senior yeah. year. And with psychiatry, it's hard to do short-term treatment because they might be on medicine for a while. Right, right. So, so we really, they really do need you know, consistent follow up. Mm -hmm. But I do think also some students would benefit from long term therapy. And I would like to see campuses make that more available to students. Mm -hmm. I know the resources are limited and they're being stretched. But I think it's so important for young adults to get therapy early on yeah. to prevent problems from getting more severe. Right. So I'd, I'd like to see more access to both therapy and psychiatry on campus and if not on campus and even through through community mental health centers with affordable mm -hmm. resources. I think nationally we need to really get yes. young adult mental health improved. Absolutely. <laughs> I completely agree. But but parents can get involved in trying to figure out what where the resources are and and um because it's if you're depressed, it's hard to kind of work through right. those issues. And the other thing I wanted to mention is a lot of campuses have a case manager who might be a may or may not be a social worker, but they can they can help the student connect with resources. Mm. Sometimes the case manager is in the counseling center. Sometimes it's, it might be in the dean of students' office. But there's each campus runs a different system. Right. It's very very as you know yeah. the working. College right. it varies tremendously, mm -hmm. but if you need to find a helper to connect you, that's the, the key to, and the parent can be critical in that process. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned medication. How does, how do, how do medications come into play here and how can parents support their child if they either are on medication already or might need to look, go down that path? One way they can support the students is if they're coming to school on medicine to try to facilitate them having continuous treatment. Mm -hmm. Because one of the worst things that can happen, especially with antidepressants, is stopping the medicine right, suddenly. Right. If someone wants to come off of a medicine, they need to taper slowly mm -hmm. and work with a provider. Um, so continuity of care is extremely important when they're coming to college. The other issue is um, the, sometimes parents have doubts about the need for medicine or they worry about side effects. And with antidepressants, by the way, there is a, a black box warning talking about increased risk of suicidal behavior in teenagers up until 25. The studies show that the concerning time is really under 18, but nonetheless, Occasionally, when a, a young adult starts an antidepressant, they can have kind of new suicidal mm. thinking. So the important thing is, let's say a parent is said, "I don't," says to the child, "I really feel uncomfortable with you starting an antidepressant." It's worthwhile to ask the child to say, "You know, let's all meet with the psychiatrist mm -hmm. so I can." 
learn about how these medicines work and know, like we have an on-call system. So if the student's having a problem, they can reach us. We're not just going to hand them a medicine. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) No, we don't do that. But what we do do is that we do have follow-up visits with the student and more at the beginning to see how are you feeling on this medicine? Are you having side effects? Is this the right dose? Mm -hmm. And I increase medicine very slowly because you do not want to cause side effects in college students affecting concentration or energy level. So, So parents, if they're having worries about the medicine, or even if they feel the student is not doing well on the medicine, can say, I want you to let this psychiatrist know that you need you need to call your psychiatrist mm-hmm. or I'd love to meet with you and the psychiatrist because I'm observing things that concern me. But again, don't stop the medicine. Right, I can't right. That's really, a, that's the takeaway. <laughs> and and that, that reminds me of like, I had a client who um, one thing that we were working on was making sure that he had reminders and a system to help mm-hmm. him remember to get his refill so that that mm. wouldn't happen. And so that can be something yes. that has to be learned too by the student. And and you're bringing up, right. And also in the past, the parents might've picked up yeah. the refills right. and the student has to... And there's an issue coming up now, and hopefully it's getting better, but there's an Adderall shortage. Yeah, I read about I that. I've heard of yeah. that. So what we're doing now with students is we're saying, make sure you fill you know, the prescription right on time. Um, and then sometimes we end up calling around to pharmacies to see where they have it. And I, th- I hope that's going to get better soon. Um, and and uh, what we, we usually are able to find it at somewhere, but that can be a challenge. And so let's say a student goes to the pharmacy and they don't have the Adderall, they need to call the psychiatrist. And sometimes there's a psychiatric nurse practitioner, it might not be a yeah. psychiatrist, but you need to call the clinic and say, I'm facing this challenge. You, it, I've called a few pharmacies, they don't have it. Can you tell me where to go or what to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's something that um, comes up a lot for college students is learning how to ask for help, take advantage of resources. um, Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's okay to ask for help. And there are Mm -hmm. people out there that really want to support you. So that's a good example of, of you might have to do that. Yeah. Right. And, um, and even for my patients, sometimes though, they might be having a side effect, but they might wait to tell me until the next appointment. I said, you can feel free to call. Yeah. And we've structured our clinic so nurses will take the preliminary call and then let, let us know if there's something serious going on. That's good. So, you know, we try, we try to, you know, have a team of resources. We even train our support staff to kind of figure out where to triage different calls. That's good. Uh, and yeah, we have a really, I, I'm really happy with the team I work with. There, it's it's a very caring team. And that's also, yeah, important to make sure your student is working with a group of people or one person who seems to, you know, care. Right. Yeah. And, and, and then that goes back again to getting in early and meeting with the people in that office and getting to know that team and having them get to know you and, or mm-hmm. your child and making sure that you, that they are familiar with your case and, and it can just really help in times of crisis. I imagine. Definitely. I, I will add one more last thing about medicine. 
For antidepressants, which actually treat both depression and anxiety, the question often is asked, how long will my child be on this medicine? It's pretty hard to predict. Um, but I can say that I've had students who, let's say, have pretty bad anxiety and depression, and they do a good course of what we call cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for depression and anxiety. And sometimes after a good course of therapy and making life changes, like finding the right major, finding the right friend group, they find they can taper off of the medicine, but with, a, with the help of a psychiatrist. And I've seen that happen. The important thing is, though, generally if someone's on an antidepressant, they, they stay on it for approximately nine months to a year because okay. that's the time frame it takes to have a full recovery, particularly from uh, depression. Okay. So, okay. Um, so, so, but, but it doesn't have to mean forever. It really doesn't. Cause I know people and I'm sure, worry about that. Yeah. I was going to say that I'm sure that's comforting to parents who are concerned about their child being on medication, that it's not a forever and, thing. And the only time it might, it's might be forever is if someone has a more severe mental health problem, like pretty yeah. severe bipolar disorder, Mm -hmm. Sometimes that requires lifelong medicine, um, and that's about 1% of the population. But, but when people do well, you can keep them on lower doses, and they'll have fewer side effects and utilize therapy along with it. Mm -hmm. So you can do it the, a way in that people can function and not feel over-medicated. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, find, like again, finding that balance right. and making sure that the choices, that the life choices that they're making in addition to medication are also being supportive. Sure. Which reminds me, you, you just said um, something about friend group, and it reminds me of uh, a client of mine once um, who had a, a friend group that um, that was was not a healthy friend group for her. And, um, and so, she, and so she changed her friend group and now, and, you know, and, and then ended up having a, a, a much better experience. And that, that makes me think about the social experience mm -hmm. of kids in college, um, and how important that is. It, it is equally important to the academic experience. It's all about your social development, de deciding which friends you want to hang out, deciding which romantic partners you want to be with, and le and learning how to deal deal with people in difficult situations, and having fun. I mean, college should be fun too. It shouldn't be a total grind. It is hard. I mean, I. I studied pretty hard in college, but I also you know, had some fun. And um, so it's important for students to find the activities they enjoy. It might be intramural sports. It might be going to church or temple or a mosque. It, it, um, it might be, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the interesting groups. I think there was an acrobatics group one time. You know, <laughs> nice. There, there <laughs> groups, you know, like they, Something they, for they everyone. And they go, some of the clubs. But, but it, you have to find something. It's important to have fun. And that's, that's, it's just part of life. We should all have fun. I'm, but maybe do your studying during the week and have fun on the weekends. I don't, yes. don't have fun every minute because, yes. because yep. you won't be able to you know, pass your classes. Although, yeah. again, school should be fun. I think the academic part, there should be joy in the academics too. And it's, it's important to find what you really like. 
And so if you're, you know, kind of pre-med and you think that's what I should do, but you say, I don't really like this. It's a, a long four years undergrad and four years of medical school and four years of residency to do what yeah. you don't like. So, yeah, that's so, a long time. <laughs> so it's really, but it's really important to find things you enjoy. And I think parents worry, oh, if my kid majors in English or history, they're not going to get a, a job. But in reality, kids get jobs doing social media for companies after graduation when they're majoring in English. It, it's so interesting, all the different things they do post-graduation. But I think it's important to find a major you enjoy, but still... Go to a career resource center starting end of sophomore, beginning of junior year and start planning. Okay, I love this major, but here's I'm I'm also going to think about a job after school or maybe it might be graduate school. Yeah, I I was just thinking, gosh, I don't think I went to the career center once when I was in college. (laughs) I should have done that. (laughs) But I'm very happy with my my, how it all worked out. You can only imagine, you know, with the experience I have working with students with my kids, I said, you need to go here. They probably found me a little too much sometimes, but I I do think it kind of helped too. It, you know, yeah. like in terms of, yeah, you have this resource on your campus, use yeah, it. Take advantage yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, <clears throat> I, um, whenever I start working with a college student, I always say to them, okay, yes, you're in, you're in college for academics, but let's make it so that your academics are, you know, as not easy as possible, but let's figure out ways, systems, let's mm-hmm. build systems so that you have more time for your socializing because you're right. I mean, yes, college is um, about academics, but it really is also about finding about who you are as a person and and learning social skills and learning the kind of people that you like to be around and the kind of people you need to avoid and learning how to ask for help and become part of a group and how to function in a group. And you can't learn all that if you just do the academics. And so you need to leave time for the that social aspect. And studies actually show that a sense of social belonging on campus is correlated with better grades. I believe it. Parents were worried about that, say, yeah, they might actually, if they have time to restore themselves and have some fun, they might do better academically. Yes, yes. Yep. And that's why it's so, um, and also how you said the adding joy to your academics and finding something that works for you. Yes, you're going to have to take classes that that are in your major that that don't work for you. But if you can build systems and figure out the tools and the strategies that you need to use to make it more bearable to get through those classes, <laughs> take advantage of your resources. Right. Then can just make it everything so much more enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, well, thank you so much. Is there anything else that um, you'd like to add that we didn't cover today? Yes. One, one last thing. Um, when your child is applying to colleges, um, again, take a cl- close look and see what kind of, what kind of coping skills they have, wh- where they thrive. Because some kids, I have I have one child who went to a small private college. I have another child who went to a large state school because their needs were different. And they both, yeah. they thrived in this, those settings. They were the right settings for them. So that's important as you're, and you can, you know, often work with the guidance counselor at school. It's now popular to hire people to help with the whole application process. But if you do hire someone, 
find someone who's not just looking at, oh, the best school your kid will get. Yeah, but really right. look at your child and see where they're going to thrive. And um, the, the last, so I'm talking about kind of getting into school. And I just also want to talk about the exit from school. This yeah, year. yeah. That can yeah. be a tricky time too. And sometimes the challenge is, sometimes the classes for certain majors like engineering can get super hard at the very end. There might be a design project where you have to develop this whole system. And so that's a time to check in with your child too and see how they're doing. Because for some kids that last year can be pretty stressful and there can be some tough classes to get into. And the other stress is if for kids who haven't figured out what they want Right. Or might want to go to medical school, but haven't fulfilled the requirements. Help your child calm down and say, listen, you can do a gap year. You can apply to med school or another graduate school. You don't have to go, go straight to grad school. So mm-hmm. kind of paying attention to the transition into college and the transition out is real. Those are kind of tricky times where kids might need more support. And also um, helping helping kids realize that you don't have to follow the tr- sort of traditional path that that you feel like everyone else is following, and because not everyone is following it, and and not and that's not the right path for everyone, and, and yeah, and taking the time to figure out what what would be best for me and what would be best for my happiness. And I have a friend who he did two years of college and then um, he took a few years off and now he's back as um, a student in his later 20s. And he's loving it Mm -hmm. so much more. He's having a completely different experience than he did when he was in his, um, you know, late teens and early 20s. And he's so glad that he didn't follow that sort of traditional path of, you know, finishing the four years. And so it's, it's and, and I've heard that from multiple people. But, and, yeah, yeah. And also, yeah, for parents, take good care of yourself because one thing I've observed with young people, they're not going to open up to you if they think you're stressed out or you're going to get that. So take some yeah. deep breaths, reassure your kids, everything's going to be okay. Reassure yourself, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. But it's it's really important to stay calm. Because your kid cares about you a lot too, and they don't want to stress right. you out. But just let right. them know you can handle things, and you guys will work things out together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. I really liked how you d- addressed that in the book about how sometimes in your book how sometimes kids will hold off on sharing something with their parents because they they don't want to you know add a add a burden to them or disappoint them mm-hmm. or anything. And and um, yeah, and so that goes back to what we were talking before about maintaining that relationship with your child and the trust and keeping that rapport. It's so important. Older now, you know, and gra- who have been through grad school and you know, or in grad school. And that it's interesting because the relationships continue. It changes a lot as kids get into their late twenties, but that re- parent child relationship is really important. Yeah. yeah so we got to yeah. ma- maintain the positive relationship. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. It's, it's what I've talked about with, with a number of our my other guests on the podcast is how different strategies to, you know, keep that relationship and how just, just being with your child, validating, like you said earlier, and just letting them know that you're there if, if they need you and that it's okay to share. And um, yeah, it's, 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 I keep hearing that from everyone that I'm talking to. So I, it, it's yeah. something that's worth putting effort into and trying. 
So, well, thank you so much. It's just been a great conversation full of really good ideas. And um, I feel like there's a lot of like actionable advice in there for oh, people. Good. So, yeah. It was a pleasure yeah, to you. talk with you. Yeah. Thank and you. where can, um, where can, um, and you mentioned a little bit in the beginning, but where can our listeners find you? Well, I have a, um, a, um, a website and my name is spelled Marcia, M-A-R-C-I-A, but Marcia Morris, MD.com. And my book, The Campus Cure, is available on, on Amazon and other websites, but it's easiest to get it through Amazon. And I'm also, if you uh, Google college wellness psychology today, you can see my blogs. I'm having a, a new blog um, coming out in a, in probably this weekend called Dear College Student, You Deserve to Be Happy. <laughs> oh, I, I love that title. I, I really, you know, I, I, I want college students to be able to find joy in their experience, even though times are challenging right now. So. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Life is, life is more fun with joy in it. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Marsha. All right. It's great talking with you, Hannah. Yes, okay. you too. And that's our show for today. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to Marsha's resources, plus some more that I found to share with you. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I hope you found my conversation with Marsha helpful. I know I will be listening again when it's time for my daughter to go off to college. We hope to help as many people as we can with the important conversations we have on Focus Forward. So please share our podcast with your colleagues, your friends, and your family. You can subscribe to Focus Forward on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can give us a boost by giving us a five-star rating. Sign up for our newsletter at beyondbooksmart.com slash podcast, and we'll let you know when new episodes drop and we'll share information related to the topic. Thanks for listening.